And Lord, we thank you for the time that you've given us with them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Sharon Hills. This is a privilege for me to be standing before you this morning. And uh, as Pastor Jason said, uh, for the last 10 years, Kaylin and I have been in Southeast Asia, and we have been a part of you, Sheridan Hills, sending us out into the nations. And so it is, it is an honor that I get to stand before you this morning, and, and we can dive into the word together. And so I want to thank you for the opportunity. Thank you to Pastor Andrew as well, who's on vacation. Uh, when he called me and said he would like me to, to preach, I was very humbled and uh, very excited to be able to share with you today what God has laid on my heart. And so we have been, for the last 10 years, in Southeast Asia. And uh, you saw earlier, our family is a, a small family of uh, three girls. Sela is six, Cadence is four, and Eden is 10 months. And so we have had uh, just a, a blast in this season of life with lots of restless, sleepless nights and, uh, and lots of messes all over the place every day without fail. It's been great. And so we were embracing this season in our life. Uh, but we have been uh, sent to Southeast Asia to an unreached people group. And they are a majority Muslim people. And the unreached people group that we have been serving for the last 10 years, we call the Soli people. And the Soli people are a people of 3 million. And of that 3 million people, there is about a few hundred at best believers among them. Think about that. A few hundred believers among three million people. When we talk about unreached people groups, technically that means there are less than 2% evangelical Christians among that people. Now that's the technical way that we explain it. In a more practical way, it's people that do not have access to the gospel. They have little to no access to the gospel. Why? Because the church is not among them. There are no Christians among them, or there might be just a few. And so in the world today, there are 7,407 unreached people groups. That makes up 3.23 billion people in the world. 3.23 billion people in the world that have little to no access to the gospel. 41.6% of the world's population. Staggering. And so, when we are in Southeast Asia, we realize that a solely person can be born, they can live, and they can die, and never hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's the reality for 3.423 billion people in the world today. That's why we go. That's why we go with our family and we go through the, the struggle of learning a language and we, and we deal with cross-cultural uh, situations and conflict and, and, and governments and, and uh, stresses on, on, our, on our family and life and, and team and all these things that come with being overseas. It's because they need to hear the gospel. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to spend some moments in, in the aroma that this passage is talking about. It's the aroma of Christ. And I want us to dive in to this text. 
And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And I've titled this message today, The Sweet Smell of Victory in Christ. Before we dive into the text, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne. We want to glorify you today in our worship through the study of your word. This word that is true, this word that is infallible and inerrant, we devote ourselves to the study of your word this morning. Teach us, Father. Open our hearts. May we smell that sweet fragrance of life. Help us, Father, today to better know who you are through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we do not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So just a brief background that I would like to go into before we, we, we really start to get through the, 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 the passage is that this is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Actually one among many, but this is the second one we have within uh, the New Testament. And Paul has come through a time of hardships. Now we know that he's on his missionary journeys as he's, as he's uh, writing to the Corinthians and as he's visiting them. And as he's going along his journeys, he's, he's encountering persecution. He's encountering hardships and struggles. We know that he's been imprisoned. We know that he's been shipwrecked. We know that he, he's been close to death. In fact, in, in, in chapter 1 of, of 2 Corinthians, in verses 8 and 9, it says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I would say that's pretty struggling. That's a difficult time. Not only was Paul experiencing some hardships, but also the Corinthian church itself was dealing with difficulties. 2 Corinthians is actually Paul's defense of his own ministry as there were false prophets among them that Paul refers to in chapter 11 as super apostles. They were preaching a salvation of Jesus plus works. They were trying to add works to the salvation of Christ. They were, they were trying to undermine Paul's life and ministry in order to preach their false gospel. And then also we know 1 Corinthians, this is after Paul, 2 Corinthians is after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians dealing with the rampant idolatry and immorality from within the church. This life is not an easy life. But I want to go back to uh, Paul's description of his affliction and experience in Asia. Because I'd like to testify to that a little bit this morning. Asia has not become an easy place to live. When we talk about unreached peoples in, in Asia, we talk about difficulties. We talk about people that are in remote areas that are hard to get to. 
We talk about tribal languages that are not written. And so you have to, you have to learn them from, from just being with the people. We talk about people that have no understanding of, of the Bible, of the gospel. And so you have to start from scratch. This is, this is a difficult situation in Asia today. Paul is back here in the first century and he says it's difficult. And I'm testifying you to this, this morning that it is still difficult in Asia. And so we have come off of a, of a season with lots of highs and lots of lows. Obviously, we've, we've come back uh, to the States now. And, and we're here because of the pandemic uh, is originally why we have come back. And so uh, that, that itself is obviously something we're all dealing with and a difficulty. But in the last few years, we have, we have experienced within our team itself. Our team is made up of IMB missionaries plus national partners, and our national partners especially have felt the brunt of persecution. One of our national partners has been beaten. Another national partner has been pretty much disowned by her family. Another national partner has been excommunicated from a village and uh, told that if he were to come back, then they, they were going to do something horrible to him. Persecution is a reality. And then in 2018, there were some serious earthquakes to shake the island that we have been on for the last several years. Many of you know this. You are walking through that with us, and, and, and we are so thankful for that. The earthquakes killed 500 people among this people group of 3 million. 500 people died, and, and it displaced 400,000, which means that their homes were either totally d destroyed or uh, just not livable. And in fact, we were among those who were displaced. It's a, a night I'll never forget. The night that I got a call from Kaylin. I was with a team up in the north, about three hours from our home. We were assessing the damage that was caused by the first earthquake that already shook that area. It, it, it was actually magnitude 6.4, that earthquake. On the first night of our assessment, while eating dinner, we felt another major earthquake. It ended up being a, a magnitude 7. Once the shaking subsided, w when I was with my group, I got a phone call from Kaylin, who I could barely understand because she was so shaken up. And when she finally got the words together, through her tears, she said, the house is destroyed. But we're okay. When the quake hit, Kaylin was home with the girls. At the time, it was sailing cadence. And so when she started to feel the shaking, she realized that this earthquake was different than the last that we've experienced. As it was getting harder and, and as the rumbling was getting stronger, she yelled out to the girls and they came to her. She took them, crouched down in a doorway. And as that happened, the lights went out. There was like a, the sound of a freight train coming through the house. Ceilings fell in. The house was falling in on them. And, and Kaylin says that at that time, more than ever in her life, she felt the presence of God. She said that she felt Jesus speak to her and say, I've got you. And even though the house all around was falling in on them, they were able to walk out of the house without a scratch. 
the one place that they could actually walk through was, was the one place in the house that did not fall in. And as Kalen walks over shard glass and, and as, as uh, soot and, and, and dirt from the ceiling fell in on them, she was able to get out with the girls. And we're thankful for God's providence. And so she was able to pick up both girls, run through the house, and the three of them got out without a scratch. A hardship, a challenge, a difficulty. Maybe you've experienced similar hardships for the cause of Christ. So how should we respond to seasons of hardships and difficulties? How does Paul respond? Despite all of his hardships, Paul is refocusing the church to thanksgiving despite the challenges. He says, but thanks be to God. So all the way up to that point, he's talking about his affliction, his hardship, his difficulties, his changing of plans. But in verse 14, we see him say, but thanks be to God. Now before moving on, I want to take the moment right now to to extend my thanks to, to you, Sheridan Hills. Because as God would have it, the first team that we, we had come out right after the quakes, it was days after, was a team from Sheridan Hills. And you can see the, the photos of the, of the team as we, as we worked uh, in, in these destroyed communities, completely, 100%, total destruction. And it was God's grace that, that we were able to see some familiar faces and we were able to... to uh, have our brothers and sisters with us as we walk this difficult road ahead. And it was the team that came that really helped to establish some inroads into communities and help us be able to go into areas that we would not have had access otherwise. And the team was such a big part of helping us start that. After they left, we were able to, to continue working and providing uh, clean water filters and food supplies and and we built over 250 shelters for people. But we knew at the time of the quakes and as the team was preparing to come, and as, as you heard of the situation, we knew that you were praying. We knew that you were supporting. And we knew that you were sending that team to be an encouragement to us. And so from the bottom of my heart, I want, us, I want our family to say thank you to you for that. So back to uh, chapter 2 in verse 14. It says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. So why does Paul give thanks? He says, because Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Now, the context of this passage is, is first century, right? And so we have a people that understand what a triumphal procession is. Today, maybe not so much. And so I want to kind of paint a picture for you on, on, on what this triumphal procession really was. And so this, this was a, a parade, a procession that happened in Rome. It was called the, Ro the Roman Triumph. And this was an honor to a general, the highest honor given to generals. And so think of the, if you remember the, the movie Gladiator and the epic scenes that you saw in the streets of Rome, Think that epicness. It was a massive event. There, was, there were 
it was a parade of, of people, and, and we're going to walk through what, what it looked like. But, but it was all to commemorate and to honor the general who led his army to victory. All the spoils of war would be paraded and on display. There would be reenactments of the battle in the streets. But the thing that there were some criteria that the general had to, had to meet. First, he had to completely defeat an adversary. Second, be the sole commander during the campaign. And third, drive the enemy towards complete submission to the Roman Empire. So this had to be a complete victory. There was no room for any error. And if a general were to do this and lead his troops to success and victory, then Rome would welcome them with this amazing festival and parade. I want us to look at the procession order, and, and I, I, I feel it's significant. And, and we'll see why. So during the procession, you would have a, an order of, of, of how they would come through the streets. And, and, and as, as people lined up the streets, they would come through in this order. First, you'd have the senators and the statesmen lead the way. Second, you'd have the hype people, the trumpeters, getting the crowd riled up. Third, you'd have the captives. These are the prisoners of war. They're the ones in prison, they're shackled, and they're on their way to their death. Right behind them is their executioners. Then we had the priests. And then behind the priest, you have the general with his scepter and his royal robe on his amazing chariot parading through Rome with this honor bestowed on him. Just picture it. And then right behind the general, he had his family. And then the troops, the army that, that he led to victory. So now that we have this picture in mind, Paul then imagines the fragrance that came from the procession. The reason Paul talks about fragrance as it relates to the procession was because those priests that are in the, the lineup, they'd have censers, right? And they would swing those censers that were, were smelling of incense, burning incense. And it would fill the air with this fragrance. Not only that, you'd have flowers that were out in the, in the streets. And as the, as the horses trampled over those flowers, it would, it would uh, produce this sweet-smelling aroma. The incense matched with the, the, the flowers, a sweet-smelling aroma. It was potent, strong. The aroma of the triumphal procession was strong. Now, this reminds me of something that some of you may know of. It's called durian. Does anyone in this room know what durian is? Let, let me see. For a raise of hands, who has tried durian in this room? Okay, with those who have tried it, who has liked it? Okay, we got one. We got one. Brave soul. Okay. And in fact, I think you're a missionary, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, durian is a potent smell. I mean, you can smell this fruit from hundreds of yards away. You can drive through uh, a, a place where they're selling durian on the side of the road, and it will get into your car with the windows up. I'm talking it is strong. 
And, and you can see, I used to describe durian as, as the meat is kind of like a, uh, a rat fetus and, and the taste is kind of like rotten onions. Sounds appeasing, doesn't it? Appealing, doesn't it? Okay, no. Well, if you, if you go to the next slide, Alex, you see that durian, you see a lot of these signs in Southeast Asia. Not allowed. You see this sign, and I kid you not, in taxis, airplanes, office buildings, hotels, they don't want you bringing your durian. Because they know if you bring that durian inside, guess what? Everyone's got durian that day. It is so strong. It's potent. And so many people in Southeast Asia love durian. They love it. They can't get enough of it. And you see, it, it's about, I mean, they can get pretty large and a lot of our friends there can eat five in one sitting. I mean, it's unreal how much they can put down durian. But like those in this room who have tried durian, we in the West don't particularly like the flavor and smell of durian. In fact, some people might call it the most repulsive thing they've ever tried. Some people might say, that is the most disgusting thing, most disgusting food I've ever ever put in my mouth. And so, to some, it's the fragrance from death to death. To others, the fragrance from life to life. But guess what? That durian, in that scenario, doesn't change. That durian is a durian. It can do nothing about being a durian. The, the, the difference is how people respond to the durian. This is what we talk about when we talk about the aroma of Christ. So back to Paul's imagery. He calls the aroma of Christ, he calls us to be the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. These are people that hear the gospel and they receive it. Their interest is piqued when they hear it. They want more of it. Those that are being saved. So a few months after the earthquakes, we met a, a young man named Ree. And Ree was a, uh, about a 17-year-old who, when we met him, was, was on crutches, hobbling along. Both of his legs were broken. And when we met Ree, he was still in excruciating pain. Come to find out, on the night of one of the large earthquakes, Ree was on his way home on his motorbike. And as he was driving on the road, a a boulder came down from a landslide, hit him on the road, knocked him off his motorbike, broke both of his legs. Was brought to the hospital, and when they got there, the doctor said, we need to amputate both your legs. Well, thankfully, Ree's mother was there. She said, that's not happening. And so she took him from the hospital and brought him home. Now, over the next several weeks, Ree went to the witch doctor. And the witch doctor would then give Ree deep tissue massages into his legs. Think about that. Broken legs, deep tissue massages. Think about the excruciating pain. And so after, after months of this type of treatment, after lots of medicines and potions and all types of things that they tried, Ree was still, he still had broken legs. They still hurt. And so this was the, the, the when we met him, this is the state he was in. So that reminded us of the story. When we met Ree, 
we share the story of when Jesus healed the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. If you remember this story, she had gone and tried everything. Her options were up. She had nowhere else to go. And so she touched Jesus' robe and Jesus said, who touched me, right? Do you remember? And then she was healed right there. And so we shared that story with her, uh, with Ree, sorry. And when Ree heard it, he was intrigued. He was interested. And then we prayed for him. And we told him that God can not only heal those that are sick, but he can also forgive your sins. And Ree responded well. He smelled that aroma. He said, this is good. I like this. And so we kept going back and sharing stories and and kept praying and we kept going back to the gospel and saying, Jesus is the answer. Well, after several weeks, maybe a month or two, Ree's legs started to get better. He was able to walk now off crutches. The pain started to go away. Ree, his mother, his father, all came to Christ. They all got saved. And now Ree leads his family along with another family in a house church. Praise God. This doesn't happen because of anything that we did. We're just the durian. It's the aroma of Christ that is in us. He smelled the aroma of Christ and it brought life. Praise God. But then Paul says there are those who are perishing. These are people who hear the gospel and they reject it. Instead of wanting to hear more, they try to avoid it. Have you ever experienced this before? I say that jokingly because I know that this is probably the majority of our interactions with people, isn't it? People who reject the gospel. So think back to the prisoners of war in the, in the triumphal procession. When they smelled the burning incense, did they have all these warm feelings and fuzzies in their, in their spirit about, about the smell of this, of this incense? No, because they knew that that incense meant they were walking to their demise. They were about to end their life. Their life was about to end. And so for them, it became the smell of death. So when we share the gospel, sometimes it's interpreted as offensive, ridiculous, undesirable, make-believe, irrelevant, threatening, and the list goes on. Sound familiar? I couldn't tell you how many times that after sharing the gospel with someone, they flat out just reject it. Sometimes they go further than that in our context in Southeast Asia. One night, one of our national partners, Mike, was doing discipleship with a new believer. Just came to faith, was just baptized, and starting that new journey. And so Mike was walking him through first lessons of discipleship and, and he would meet with him and we knew that this new believer's family was not too happy about his new faith in Jesus. But one night, Mike brought 
this new believer back home. His wife was there, so Mike started to talk to her. Not knowing that there were three young men lying in wait for him to come. And came from behind Mike and they started to beat him. And they had, they had a, a wooden stick and they started to pound on him. And, and uh, thankfully, that night he was wearing his helmets. And so um, even though the helmet got broken in the process, he was able to escape and get away and get on his bike and drive away. To those that are perishing, the gospel could be a threat. The fragrance of death. They don't want it. They reject it. This is normal. But it breaks our heart. To those in bondage, it is the fragrance of death. But we shouldn't be surprised. Because this is who we once were. Isn't it? This is, this is the identity that we once had as those who rejected the gospel. I want to direct our attention to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were in bondage to sin. We were the captives in the procession. We were headed towards our death. That's who we once were for those of us who are in Christ. Paul butts in again. But, chapter, uh, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see the picture? Do you see the picture? We go from the captives in chains on our way to, to, to our death. And the king comes down. He comes down and he takes the punishment that we so deserve. And he sets us free. And who the sun sets free is what? Free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. We transform from being captives, marching towards our death, to victors in triumphal procession. Only God can do that. No one else can take us from the bondage of our sin and free us from that bondage and burden except Christ. We move from a place of death and defeat to a place of victory. How could this be? How is it possible to go from captive to freed victor. In verse 16 of chapter 2, Paul says, Who is sufficient for these things? Well, he answers that. In chapter 3, 
verses 5 and 6. He says this, Now that we are sufficient in ourselves, not, sorry, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be the ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So who is it through? It's through Christ. Through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and our belief in him, he sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. Praise God. So, how are we identified now? What is our identity? No longer slaves. No longer marching towards our demise. No. Instead, Paul gives us three characteristics of our lives as victors in Christ. In verse 17, he says, Not like so many peddlers of God's word. Now, this goes back to, the, to uh, those that he's, he's fighting off, the super apostles in the, in the church at Corinth, that they tried to add works to the free gift of salvation. They are those who pollute the word of God for selfish gain and intentionally mislead people for their, pros- their own prosperity. Don't we see a lot of this in our world today? People who use the gospel as a tool for their own status, for their own pocket, for their own desires. But that's not who we are. No. Instead, we are people of sincerity. Our hearts are genuine because the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. We see the lost around us and it pains us to know that they are in bondage to sin. We hear of unreached peoples, like I mentioned earlier, throughout the world, and it breaks our hearts. That's not because of how awesome we are. That's because of the Spirit at work in us. We sincerely desire to know God and to make Him known. Think about going from slave to God's army. And if we remember the status God gives us, Paul is saying these are the characteristics that we will see in us. Finally, we are commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples. To breathe a fragrance of life to those that need to hear it. As I said earlier, that's why we go. Because the fact is, is that there are places throughout the entire world that don't have any one believer, follower of Christ, who is spreading the aroma of Christ, who is bringing the fragrance of life. There are complete populations of people that have no witness to Jesus. No church to go to. No co-worker who knows Christ. No family member who knows Jesus. No schoolmate that knows Jesus. In the dark, completely lost in their sin. But we're commissioned not by our own power, but by the power of Christ. And so as I 
finish this morning, I want us to take a moment of self-examination. Are we living our lives as Paul describes? Characterized by victory in Christ and not bondage to sin. Recognizing that you, you, we, are in Christ's army and walk as victors. We're no longer under the bondage of sin. Are we walking in that victory? 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10 through 10 says this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And in that life, the aroma of Christ enters in, and we are now able to spread the fragrance of Jesus, this fragrance of life, to the world. Is our life an aroma to the world? When we walk into a dark place, do people, that smells different. That's not what I normally see. Why? Because spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere is that we realize that it is through Christ that our aroma brings life. Kaylin and I were walking through uh, recently just at some public area and and uh, we noticed that it doesn't take much for us to stand out in this culture, does it? It doesn't take much for us to reject an offer of something or not partake in different things or have a certain way we speak because, because we know the Lord. It doesn't take much. And people all around us every day are one of two people. They're the ones that either when they encounter this fragrance, it's the fragrance that brings life, or when they, count, when they encounter this aroma, it brings death. And we should not expect there to be both of those in our own lives. How often do you meet with your coworkers and they're ready to go and go out and they start to joke around and you're, you're starting to put on your brakes and say, wait, wait, wait. Or, or maybe you're with your family and they start to have this process of, of, of thinking and you're saying, wait, no, 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 no. This. This is the truth that I live by. We have opportunities every day. And praise God for a church that helps us, that equips us to go out and to be that fragrant aroma. Praise God we have people here in our fellowship, community, that, that help us and encourage us and uplift us to go out and to be that gospel aroma to those around us. We can't do it alone. In fact, 
we won't see a multitude of people come to know the Lord unless we're doing it together. And so, this is an encouragement to us, Sheridan Hills, as a church, to live in Christ and be that fragrance, to be that aroma that we are in, that, that the victory that we find ourselves in, not as slaves in bondage in the procession on our way to death, but as freed victors in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, this is something that smells good. I, I, I like the aroma that I'm, I'm smelling. I, I, I like the feeling that I'm getting when I, when I hear God's word. Well, I would invite you to explore that. I would invite you to, to not reject what God might be doing in your heart. There are people that might be in this room today that might be ready to say, I'm ready to trust in Jesus. I'm ready to put my old self aside, die to my old self, and to, to live in Christ, the life that he gives in victory. I'm ready to live in victory today. I invite you, live in that victory today. God is offering it. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, this is maybe the first time I'm hearing this and it's, it's different, but I'd like to explore it more. Well, we would love to explore it with you. And so in a, in a, in a moment, we're going to have uh, a couple of people come up and they're going to be on the sides here and they're going to be ready to talk to you. Maybe you're saying that I'm, I'm ready to, to live in Christ and to die to my sin, to live as a victor in Christ. Or maybe you're saying, I'm ready to start that journey. I'm ready to start to explore that. We as a church would love to come alongside you in that. And so, if that is you, I'd encourage you to, to seek out those that will be here uh, ready to receive you and, and talk to you and encourage you. Maybe you're at home and you say the same thing. I'm, I'm ready to start this journey. I'm ready to hear more. Well, great news. You can. You go to SheridanHills.org and at the very bottom of that homepage you'll see a contact us link. Click on that and then you will be uh, guided to a pop-up screen that you can write a message in and uh, Sheridan Hills, we will get back to you and start to talk to you and, and walk through that with you. Isn't it so good to be a victor in Jesus? We are in a, a time that 
we might be seeing more and more people that are maybe noticing that we smell different and there might be pushback. Uh, maybe because of political um, status that, that's happening right now in our society or other social issues. This is going to become more and more apparent to us as we are not going to be able to sit back. We're not going to be able to, to allow ourselves to open up these ideas to the world that I want to push so hard. And so, to all you out there, believers, just want to remind you that we are not responsible for the response to the gospel. Our responsibility is to live in Christ, abide in him, be that aroma, and when people respond, that's between them and God. But our commission is to go and to make disciples, to share the gospel, teaching them to obey all that God has commanded. The rest God will do. And we're good with that, aren't we? So, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have uh, those up here on the sides to be ready to receive you. And um, please, if, you, if you're that person today, would love to hear from you. would love to walk through that with you. Lord God, we thank you so much for the truth that comes from your word. We thank you for being the victor. We thank you for becoming the sacrifice. We thank you for taking on the punishment on our behalf. But then you, you didn't just stop there. You came down and you raised us up. You took off those shackles that have held us back for so long and, and you've broken us free from the, the sin that so easily entangles and you've given us life in Christ and it is in that life we want to live every single day because as we walk in triumphal procession we are not walking towards our death this is not our exit but we walk towards life an entrance into eternal life with you we thank you for that amazing truth that comes through knowing Christ. So Lord, work on us. Help us to know you more. And I pray, Father, that, that we as a church would remember to be the aroma of Christ here in Hollywood and to Broward County, South Florida, and then the uttermost. We thank you for the privilege it is to know you and to share you and to live in you and to have life in you. We're so undeserving. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?